0: Amen. My son, during the first service, was taking pictures of me while I was preaching, giving me running commentary. And I, I show you the pictures of me preaching like this. Nice job, Dad. That was a good word, Dad. So if my son can do that with his phone, I want you to do that today, man. Don't take pictures of me. That's a bit narcissistic. But you can just shout me down if you think something's good today. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to land our, uh, our Revelations um, series today. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. We're going to go just a little bit over today our time. So just settle in. Everyone take a big, deep breath. We're going to touch three passages of scripture today. We're going to touch the most debatable verses in Revelations, the most sobering uh, verses in Revelations, and the most life giving verses in Revelations today. And what we're going to do is I'm going to share the truth with you, and I'm going to speak the truth in love today, and I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so my, my prayer would be is that if you're watching today, you're in the room, and you say, gosh, I'm not sure I have a, a relationship with God like I, I want or, or like I believe that he wants for me. Today's your day to uh, turn your life to Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, we get to spend an eternity with him. And so We're going to be covering, you know, uh, uh, just a couple of things today, chapter 20 and chapter 21 and chapter 22. And, uh, you know, as we looked at this series, just a reminder for those who maybe aren't aware of why we took on the Revelation series. You know, I I realize that as we read the book of Revelation, there's people that are scared of it. There's a lot of people who have really ruined, I I believe, ruined the book of Revelations for the body of Christ by using it as a a bit of a a crystal ball to try to predict for you when the end time is coming for an easy installment, installment payment of $19.99 a month. Or, you know, we have different environments and different people who've used the book of Revelation to try to just bring uh, division in the house of God. And, you know, we're going to look at the first passage of Scripture and recognize that that the the, the most divisive uh, section of Scripture has really caused denominations and different uh, factions within the body of Christ. But I want to kind of bring some normalcy to it and bring some clarity to you today. But we remember that the the book was written by John, uh, John the apostle and he was the best friend of Jesus and the closest of his disciples and still living on the planet, he was sent to the island of Patmos to pound rocks for the rest of his life because he would not worship Emperor Domitian by bringing incense into the temple. Instead, he said, I'm not going to do that. And because he wouldn't give incense and worship to Domitian rather than God, he was sent to the island of Patmos and he had an experience, a revelation. This, I believe that this was a, an actual experience where it wasn't just in his imagination. I believe that there was an actual moment where he was taken up to this moment. And he experienced heaven like 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 many of us will never experience until we get there to heaven ourselves. And this revelation from Jesus was given to John for the seven churches in Asia who were experiencing tremendous persecution and they were being mis- mistreated. And the government powers of that day and the political powers of that day had chosen to no longer surrender Oh, I'm not going to, sorry, he's wanting what I'm saying. The political powers of that day and the the, the governments of that day had chosen to no longer be under the, 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 the uh, allegiance and, and and loyalty to Christ. They'd chosen now. Domitian decided, I no longer want to be under God. I want to try to be a God. And so the people were being mistreated and abused, and there was immorality in the church and heresy in the church. And so John was writing these letters on by, by way of Christ to, to the seven churches to remind them, that if you continue to keep your testimony for Jesus Christ and obey his word, that you will prevail, that the church of Jesus Christ will not fail, that no weapon formed against you will prosper, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. That if you keep the word of God and you remain faithful and you set yourself apart and you remain holy and you continue to pursue a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and separate yourself from the things of this world and the spirit of Babylon, but serve the spirit of God and the spirit of the house of the Lord and serve Jesus Christ with all of your life, that you will prevail even if you die and even if you're mistreated and even if you're beaten and even if you're persecuted and even if the governments begin to turn around on us and begin to go anti-Christ and we say, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We don't have to be afraid. Why? Because we win this battle. We prevail. We win. The church of Jesus Christ will overcome. You don't have to be afraid any longer, church. And this is what John was trying to tell these people. You don't have to be afraid. We win this battle. And as we come into Revelations chapter 20, we look at the most debatable, uh, debatable text probably in the whole book of Revelations, I believe, uh, among Christians rather. And it's, it's found in Revelations chapter 21 to three, and it's about the thousand year reign. And it reads this, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. And he seized the dragon and the old serpent, the same serpent that, that deceived Adam and Eve, the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a 1,000 years. And the angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked. So Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the 1,000 years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. This is the text that has caused different churches to create different domina- denominations, and every denomination has a different hill or a different idea of what the scripture means, and I'm not gonna get into the nitty-gritties of the different uh, teachings of, of, of uh, eschatology and, and how the end times happen. I'd love to have a coffee with you if you wanna sit down and talk through all the different theological vantage points, and I decided today, I'm just gonna teach you what I believe, what I believe for my own life, for my own study to be the reality, and also not only that, but what I believe our churches would position ourselves in because it's important you understand that your end times theology is very important. Your end times and what you believe about how the world ends and why it ends is very important. And every second, different vantage point, I want you to hear me, every different vantage point of how the world ends or eschatology is what it's called, each of these were presented by men and women of God, ardent to understand the truth of scripture. They weren't being deceptive or wrong. And I don't even know if everything that they're teaching is wrong or unbiblical. I'm not taking a position on one thing. I'm just saying each of us are just trying to understand the God's word. But here's what we can agree on. Jesus wins. The church wins. Whether he raptures us or whether he takes us in the middle or takes us in the end, we win. Hallelujah. I don't think that if the, Jesus comes to rapture us, we're going to say, dang it, I was wrong. I don't think if he waits until the very end, and we say, oh man, I wish I could have got up in the blaze of glory in the sky. At the end of the day, Jesus wins. The church wins. Jesus comes back for the church of Jesus Christ. In the end, every single person will stand before the judgment seat of God and take account for every single deed that they've ever done on this planet. And they will look Jesus in the eyes and Jesus will look down at a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you will spend an eternity with Jesus Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. But if your name has not been written in that book and you've not confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be sent to the lake of fire, which we call hell. That is the reality of at the end of time. So I don't know how you want to split it out with a thousand means but at the end of the day we have to recognize we all can agree on those things. Now if we look at this revelations we've seen that we've used almost every number as a symbol. I would Probably encourage you to consider that if we used every number as a symbol, and we see every number in this, in this, uh, in this, uh, this type of writing that, that, that John is doing, then it would be uh, probably smart for us to apply the same rule to the thousand-year rule, meaning that it's most likely a symbolic number insinuating something that you and I don't have the full picture of. And we have to understand something. That it's important that in all these views we agree on this reality that Jesus wins and that this idea of our uh, recognizing what the, what the end times means for each of us. A lot of us just say, don't worry, Ron, I just love Jesus. Yes, that's good. I know you love Jesus. But your understanding of how the world ends or the end times theology or your eschatology determines how you live your life. It determines how you make the decisions you make. It determines how you spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's important you grasp the understanding that Jesus Christ will return for his church and he's coming and he's already on his way. What things that we stand for and believe in our church is that we are already in the end times. That the kingdom of God is already at hand. We are already living in the last days. And we, this is what we believe, will be on the planet spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ until the final day when history comes to a close. He doesn't take us out of it because He never has, but He empowers us to go through it all the way. And Christ will return for his church and he will judge the living and the dead. And as I said, some whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will go to heaven and some whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will spend an eternity without God. It's important we see some key things about this thousand year reign. That's the big question. When does it start? That's the big question. And I would maybe suggest to you that just for a moment, let me make some suggestions for you, and you can do your own study on this. Let me make some suggestions for you that maybe we change the question not from when does it start, not when does it, but when did it start? We look at the scripture in John chapter 12. My question is could this have already happened? And we look in John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, now is the time for judgment of this world. He's talking about the cross. And now, look at this, now the prince of this world, this is Jesus on the planet, 33 AD, walking on the earth, about to be crucified. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So this is Jesus saying, the devil will be driven out when I am crucified on the cross, when I am buried, and when I rise on the third day, the devil will be driven out. And then just a few chapters later, Jesus says to his disciples, he said to them, all authority on heaven, on earth has been given to me. Now Jesus is now the resurrected Jesus has been made the king of kings. He will, will be made. He is the king of kings and Jesus already has all the authority and that's why you and I can go out and make disciples because maybe the devil has already been locked away and been cast down to the abyss. Therefore go and make disciples, he says. And as it says in Revelation 20, he threw the dragon into the abyss and locked it silver, look at this, to keep from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended, to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore. And Jesus said, all authority and power has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations. Maybe it's because the serpent, the dragon, had been locked away and is no longer able to have the deceiving powers that he had. He's still causing havoc though. He's still causing chaos if we notice in Revelations chapter 12 to Revelations chapter 20, it is not the dragon doing harm. It is the beast and the false prophet. You'll notice that the beast and the false prophet are receiving all of his power, all of their power from the dragon. The dragon is not on the scene from chapter 12 to chapter 20. Remember the, remember the, the beast from the, from the sea. The beasts of the sea are, are the political powers, the dragon-manipulated, Satan-inspired political powers of that day. I'll let you be the judge if that's today. But all I know is when the government tries to stop the people of God from serving Jesus Christ and tries to come down on them for making Jesus Christ their Lord and not the government their Lord, that is called a dragon-manipulated political power. And the dragon-manipulated political powers who are people or the governments or, or the political powers of that day were saying we're no longer going to surrender to the sovereign God who we are under. We are going to make ourselves God and you will worship us. We will be your savior. We will be your messiah. Remember, Jesus called them a false Messiah. And then we have the false prophet who are teaching things that are not Christ and doctrines and heresies and ideas that are infiltrating the church. And we've got all sorts of people teaching uh, health and wealth. Come on, somebody. If you just give your 10% today, uh, you can secure your spot in heaven. Hallelujah. And get your Ferrari. Come on, somebody. Or begin to teach this idea that there's no hell. Or Begin to teach this idea that you don't actually have to have a changed life. You just need to have faith in Jesus. But listen, you can keep doing whatever it is you want to do, because it's not about how you live your life. It's just about your faith in Christ. So keep living in immorality. We have the false prophet speaking heresy and lies, not to the world, to the church of Jesus Christ. And so from chapter 12 to chapter 20, we see the beast, the, 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 the uh, dragon-manipulated powers, of the political powers of the day, and the false prophet, the heresies and false doctrines, trying to infiltrate the church and keep the church from declaring Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, all the while receiving their orders like a mob boss, the dragon behind bars. I'm just suggesting for you today that maybe we can see this idea and it's important to understand that, this, that Satan is alive, but Satan is not well. I need you to catch us today because I believe one of the deceptions of the evil one upon followers of Jesus today is that Satan can beat you. That he can beat you, that he wins, that you are weak. And see, the devil wants to deceive the church of Jesus Christ into thinking that he is alive and well and roaming, when in reality, it's the beast and the false prophet, and the devil has already been defeated when Jesus Christ was crucified and rose on the third day. Somewhere in our theology, we began to think, well, maybe he wasn't defeated when he was we know when he was crucified, and you know maybe he wasn't defeated. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, what do you think he was doing for three days? He was going down and getting the keys of, of death and and hell. He's saying, "No longer you have been cast down." There has been a lie. For us to believe that we don't win this battle, that you are just a, a, a pushover, that the devil's so strong, when in reality we have the power of the living God living in us, and all authority and all power has been given to him, and when you confess the name of Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 2 says that you have been given the power, the dunamis, miracle-working power of God living within you to witness and testify to the name of Jesus Christ. We are more than overcomers through Christ who gives us strength. We are are not the tail. We are the head in the name of Jesus. And you got to understand today, no matter where your end times theology is, we didn't, we don't win. We've already won. The victory has already been won. We don't come from a place of needing victory. I need your victory, Jesus. I need a victory. No, no. He says, I've already got a victory. It's already happened in my life. It was on the day when Jesus was crucified and he rose on the third day. And Satan wants us to think that he's still causing trouble to the people of God and he's trying to do it through anti-Christ governments and he's trying to do it through false teaching and immorality. But we will remain true to the testimony of Jesus Christ and obedient to the words of the living God and we will prevail in the name of Jesus. And then we see in this chapter Revelations 20, when thousand years came to an end, Satan will be let out of prison. <laughs> he, he's gonna go and deceive the nations called Gog and Magog like the Lord of the Rings. And in every corner of the earth, he will gather them together for battle. A mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. Satan is gonna mount an army. They went up the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city to attack God and his people. But fire from heaven came down and attacked the armies and consumed them. He didn't even get a chance to get out an accusation. He didn't even get a chance to throw a bullet or throw an arrow, throw a spear or try to punch you. He gathered all of his minions and said, Vic, you know, remember, because the devil doesn't, he knows how it ends, but he is not an omniscient God like ours. He's left in the dark. He comes out of the abyss. He grabs all of his people and says, this is my time. This is at the end of time when the enemy will come and think, I'm going to battle and wage war. And we just stand there and we look up and see, oh, Jesus opened his eyes. Oh, look at the fire. Oh, look, at he took out the whole army. And it's all over. <laughs> Jesus just showed up. Yeah. And all the powers of hell were destroyed. Yeah. And at the end of this, Thousand years, which I don't think anyone on the stinking planet knows when that is. All we know is that I believe he was put into the abyss. He's been driven out and he's been cast down. I believe in the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. He didn't just half chain up devil. He chained him all full. And now you and I stand at the end of this thousand years, whenever it is, as the people of God, and we watch this cosmic battle, whatever that is, and we know when Jesus showed up, he opens his eyes and fire comes from his eyes like in Lord of the Rings again. I don't know. I and he just, he just devoured all of them. And then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast. Remember in Revelation 19, the beast and the false prophet had just been thrown into the lake of fire joining the beast and the false prophet, and there they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. You need to know something. The devil ain't a king in hell. He doesn't have any authority and doesn't reign anywhere. When the devil goes to hell, he's being tormented forever. Don't let the devil make you think he's got a pitchfork poking people down there. No, no, no. He's being tormented. His minions are being tormented. Why? Because Jesus is the only king in all the earth. So we see this idea, this reality that Jesus is already the king. He doesn't become the king. He's already the king. And we are already reigning with Christ right now. I need you to hear this today. Ephesians 1, 3, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every, say every, every, every spiritual blessing in Christ. What about this one? 2 Peter 1, 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. We aren't just going to reign in the new heaven and the new earth. We are reigning right now because of the power of the Holy Spirit that's active in your life. We have been given the divine nature of the Holy Spirit to be able to enable us to be able to overcome the spirit of Babylon in this world. You are reigning with Christ. You've already come to life in Christ, and we stand in a place of victory. So who knows? But all I know is this, we win. Know this today, get this into your theology. Satan doesn't win. He has permission, can I shift them like wheat? And he says, listen, you can try to agitate their faith all you want, but this one, they're going to stand firm for the, the, for the word of God. They're going to stand firm for Jesus Christ. He might come to tempt you. He might come to overwhelm you. He might come and bring all sorts of things in your life through the beast and through uh, the, the, the prophet, The, the, the uh, you know what I'm trying to say, you know, that guy, whatever his name is, I don't really care, whatever. He might try to do that, but guess guess what? You win. No weapon formed against you. There's a weapon formed, but it doesn't prosper. So don't stand from a position of, oh, God, help me. He says, why are you screaming? I've already given you the victory. Just take it. Just tell the devil, dude, you've been thrown down. I have the power of the living God living in me. I have the blood of Jesus all over me. Back up, devil. You don't win. We are more than conquerors. We are victorious through Christ who gives us strength. We win. We win. We win. Let's look at this next section of Scripture. The most sobering text in all Scripture, this is a holy moment. So we see that the dragon and the beast and the prophet and all of their evil has been thrown into the lake of fire. And now it says in the Scripture in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne. And the one sitting on it, look at this, and the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. The the, the earth and the sky, remember, God isn't coming to just do new things. He's coming to make all things new. But in this moment, the earth was so filled with the contamination of sin from the fall of man that even itself had to hide in the presence of this holy God. And it ran from the presence of the Lord. And in verse 12, I saw the dead both great and small, standing before God's throne. The sea gave up its dead and the death and and the grave gave up their dead and the death and then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is a second death everyone who's died and were put in the grave and everyone who died and didn't end up in a grave we now stands every single person across the planet that has ever been born. The rich ones, the poor ones, the good ones, the bad ones, the smart ones, the not smart ones, the tall ones, the short ones from every tribe and every language and every nation ever created under the hand of God now stands. Every single person will stand before the living God face to face at the very throne of God and see Jesus the judge face to face every person there's not a single person on the planet who will not have to stand before God's throne And at the end of time, every single person, every created person will stand before the very throne room of God and look him in the eyes. And the verse says, then the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Notice the word plural, books, lots and lots of books. Every single person on the planet that has ever been created has a book. And in fact, John is using this language taken from the the prophet Daniel who is prophesying about heaven and the end of time. He grabbed this imagery from Daniel chapter seven. Look what Daniel says about the same scene. You know, hundreds of years prior, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Thousands upon thousands were serving him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. And the court convened, and the books were opened. Every single person on the planet will stand before the throne of God. And this was a long held idea in the early church that they understood that that our deeds are recorded in heaven's ledger book. That every single thing that you've ever done or everything you've ever said, every single nuance and secret that you thought no one would ever see, every single deed and every single word will be revealed in this book. Every single thing, and Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 2, the time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all and whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and whatever you whisper behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Every Every single person will be judged according to their deeds on earth. This is a sobering truth. And you're here today and say, Ryan, I thought it was salvation by faith. I thought that I went to heaven by by, by just having faith. Yes, but do you understand that the deeds and the choices that you make on this planet and how you live your life are an expression and the implications of your true faith? That how you choose to live your life and the things that you choose to do and the conduct that you choose to have on this earth is recorded in these books. And you say, Ryan, that doesn't make any sense. I thought it was all about faith alone. Guess what? It's about faith and works. Yes. Because the lifestyle and the choices and the decisions that I make are an expression of my belief system about the nature and the character of a living God and my life reflects what God says in his word that means my my faith is true by how I live yeah. Yeah, right. have to recognize that our deeds and our, our deeds reveal our values our deeds reveal our character and I know the, these these verses are, are not very Great but they're the scripture. This is Paul writing to the Roman church, the Christians, he said, in Romans 2, but no, you won't listen. And so you're saving up terrible punishment for yourselves because of your stubbornness and refusing to turn from your sin. For there is going to come a day of wrath when God will judge, be the just judge of all the world. And he will give each one whatever his deeds deserve. And he will give eternal life to those who patiently do the will of God, seeking for the unseen glory and honor and eternal life that he offers, but he will terribly punish those who fight against the truth of God and walk in evil ways. God's anger will be poured out upon them. Paul says it again in 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged and of our lives laid bare before him. And each of us will receive whatever he deserves for the good or bad things he's done in his earthly body. And it's because of this solemn fear of the Lord, which is ever present in our minds that we work hard to win others. God knows our hearts that they are pure in this matter. And I hope that deep within you, you really know this too. In fact, Jesus says this again in the very last book of the Bible in Revelations chapter 22. And when the time comes, Jesus says, all doing wrong will do it more and more and the vile will become more vile and the good men will be better and those who are holy will continue on in greater holiness. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Ryan, is it faith or is it deeds or is it works? And Yes. The greatest lie of the enemy. I'm here to bring the truth of God's word to you today. You cannot profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ and continue to live a lifestyle of sin. You will take account I say this because I love you. Because you shouldn't be afraid of me. You shouldn't have this holy fear of what I'm saying. You should recognize that what I'm telling you today is the truth. You cannot continue to profess the name of Jesus Christ and, and commit fornication. You cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ and continue to get drunk every weekend. It's sin. You cannot continue to have pride in your heart or bitterness in your heart or or attitudes in your life. You cannot continue to make decisions that are opposite of what God's word says and expect it to be washed away at the end of time. You have to recognize that you will stand before the living judge. His name is Jesus. And you have a book that's written every deed of your life. How you live your life matters. The statistics of Canadians... Who profess that they're followers of Jesus, profess that they know the beatitudes and know the commandments, but don't even know where in the scriptures it lies is scary. Now preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to you today to let you know that your faith is acted out with how you give your time and your resources and your energy and when you allow the Holy Spirit to cut things out of your life and prune things out of your life and say I love doing that sin but I'm going to stop because I know it does not represent the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus Christ I'm not going to be given to the spirit of Babylon, I'm going to give into the spirit of the Lamb and crucify myself and crucify those things that I might stand before the living God with all of my deeds before me, knowing that I've done everything I can. And he will look in the eyes and say, good job, my good and faithful servant. It says in the verse that in Revelation of 2015, that anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Have you persons who's not confessed the name of Jesus Christ and turn from their sin, their name will not be found in the Lamb's book of life and they will be sent and thrown into the lake of fire. I want you to hear me today. God does not send people to hell. People choose. We believe that God has it us free will. We choose. God's way, the lamb's way, or the world's way. You choose. But I want you to know that choice has ramifications when you die. And you will spend an eternity, it says. You will be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, is this actually a lake of fire? I'm just going to give you what I believe. I believe this is symbolism. And I believe this because of a a small little text. In Revelation chapter 22, it says, Blessed forever are those who are washing their robes to have the right to enter through the gates of the city and to eat the fruit from the tree of life. Look at this. This is Jesus' description in Revelation 22 of the new heaven and the new earth. Outside the city are those who've strayed away from God and the sorcerers, and the immoral, the murderers, the adulterers, and all who love to lie and do so. I believe that this place of the lake of fire, this hell, is a place where you and I, where if you do not profess the name of Jesus Christ, and turn your life to Him, and choose to serve your Creator God, that you will spend an eternity separated from the life of God separated from a life. All the things you see on this planet that you hate about this world, genocide and murder and anger, wounds and bitterness, all the things you see are reserved for that place in hell where you and I are not necessarily tortured by a demonic guy poking us in the butt with a prod. No, we are tortured by the reality that we are no longer in the presence of God. We are separated from the very living God. We are separated from the place. We have eternal regret, eternal anguish, and eternal anger, and eternal bitterness, and that every single challenge we face on the planet will be represented in that place in hell, and the devil will also be tortured right along with us. The closest I've ever come on earth to hell is when I had a deep, deep bitterness against a pastor who had wounded me. And I remember I was so deeply hurt by this. I began began smoking stuff and drinking stuff. And I started looking at stuff. And I was straying away from my my faithfulness to my wife in that season. And I just was an unhealthy person. And when I looked at the sun, I didn't see the sun as brightly as it was. And when I looked at the grass, the grass felt a little browner. And I hated you Christians. And I hated the church. And even though I would call myself a follower of Jesus Christ, I began to experience my body breaking down and I felt angry and bitter and upset and mad and frustrated. That's the closest that I've ever been to hell. The closest you've ever been to hell too. When you experience those moments in your life, when you look, someone who's dying of cancer in the eyes and the sickness in their body and you say, why is this happening? That sense in your heart, when you look at our world and say, what is going on? That is a life separated from God. A place where People who've chosen to not serve God because of their own pride have said, I will not serve the Lamb. I will not yield my life to the way of God. I'm here to implore you. You will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and you will take account for your sin and you will be ushered into the place that you've chosen, a life forever separated from the living God. We see that with these books, these books, line upon line, notation upon notation. My book's probably the worst book in the room. Moment by moment of choosing my day after day of failure to trust in Jesus and inappropriate ways of dealing with my inner pain and inner frustrations. Lifetime of being in sin's prison. But I'm here to tell you something today that my book probably looks just like your book. There's something so powerful about this book that Jesus told us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, when I stand before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for allowing that lust in my heart. Guess what happens? It's crossed out with red white out called the blood of Jesus. God, forgive me for having that attitude. God, forgive me for thinking that way. Lord, forgive me for drinking in that way. God, forgive me for having pride and forgive me for my bitterness and forgive me for my anger and forgive me for my hate. And every time, every line of wrong and sin is covered by the blood of Jesus, no longer to be recorded and its step, forgiven and redeemed and transformed and canceled and renewed and restored and redeemed and forgiven, which means that when Jesus takes my book one day, he's going to open and say, Ryan, all I see is the blood of the Lamb. And then he will go to the Lamb's Book of Life and say, Ryan, your name has been written in this Lamb's Book of Life because you chose to make a daily repentance of your sin so that I could wipe out the sin in your life every single day. To wipe it away and wipe it away and wipe it away so that you can spend an eternity with Jesus. Jesus Christ you can have the notations of your life erased by the blood of the Lamb it's good news that you and I can stand before the judgment seat of God and those lists of deeds are covered by the blood of Jesus and he takes the Lamb's book and he places it over my book and says you've been forgiven son come on in I got a table prepared for you. You're going to be shocked at what you see. He tells us. I want to read this verse. But if we claim to be without sin, we've deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Then we come to the last portion here the new heaven and the new earth. I saw a new heaven, John says, and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death and no more sorrow and no more crying and no more pain. And all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and and true. And he also said, it's finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all of these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. You see this new heaven and this new earth, you notice that there's no temple because now we live, not only do we live in God, in the, in the city of God, we are living in Him, but we are living with God Himself. We will now see God face to face just as He is. He will express His godliness and His, his power and His omnis- omniscience and his, his powerful presence on us. We will see Him face to face in all of His glory, living within God, with also with God. And it's beautiful, because there will be no need for lights and no need for skies, because we will constantly be feeling the powerful expression and the weight of glory and the weight of God's presence at all time. And we will experience this in the city of glory, and there will be gates there, but the doors will always be open. And you notice there's trees, and there's walls, and there's streets of gold, and this place has material, tangible reality. Everything that you see that is on this planet, trees, and mountains, and cities, and infrastructure, we will see this material reality where we'll see homes, and lakes, and rivers, and grass, and buildings, and mountains, and architecture. Everything that we love on this earth. Do you think that man came up with those ideas? My goodness, no. This was in God's heart all along for his original creation. We will see buildings and infrastructure, and we will have not only that, but the Bible says that the, the, all people, my God's people, will be there. The original manuscript actually has a plural word which says peoples, and I love this. Not just going to be a bunch of white people in heaven. I love this. It's going to be every tribe. It's not just going to be black people. Is that just going to be other ethnicities or one color or one thing or there's going to be no color? Yes, there'll be all the tribes in all the cultures and all the beauty of these cultures. I love it. There's going to be Africa represented. Amen. Colombia represented. Amen. South Africa. Come on, New Zealand. Come on, Australia. Come on, we're going to have every tribe and every nation. Listen to me. Your culture will be in heaven. There will be cultures and societies, and there will be kings and queens. We won't be planets. We won't be kings and queens on another planet. No, no, no. God's the king. He's the queen. But we will have responsibilities, and we will serve the house of the Lord. And there will be cultures, and there will be Races and tribes and nations. People say, Ryan, we don't see color. God sees color. He created color, and we will see that color in heaven. And we will walk around and see cultures and infrastructures and civilizations. And one author wrote this in scripture. He said, Will there be better Beethovens on the new earth? And When we see better Rembrandts or Raphael, should we read better poetry, better drama, better prose? Will sciences continue to advance and technological achievements? Will geologists continue to dig out the treasures of the earth? And will, will architects continue to build imposing and attractive structures? And will there be enticing new adventures of space travel? You have to understand something. This new heaven, this new earth, is something that you and I will discover forever and ever and ever and ever. We will experience the life that God always intended for us. And in the center of that city, Will be the river of life, just like in Eden. There'll be trees of life where orchards are everywhere we go. We will spend an eternity face to face with the living God. The new heaven and the new earth is not a cloud with a harp with a little doily covering our privates. We're not just up in, you know, like playing the harps for eternity. No, we live a new life with new responsibilities, with new joy and new meaning and new purpose where there's no tears and there's no shame and there's no fear and there's no demonic realm. There's just the kingdom of God with brothers and sisters in Christ, living the life that God always intended us. We will reign and we will cultivate. Aren't you excited to be in the new heaven and the new earth? That's what God intends for our lives. He said this to these people. He said to them, come. Guys, don't worry. I know it's hard in this season when the political powers of this day, when the beast feels like he's winning this battle. I know it's hard when you look around the world and you say, gosh, I just see all these half-truths and these things, and it's just so confusing and so difficult. I want to encourage you today to know that if you keep your testimony about Jesus Christ and you remain obedient to the word of God, you model your life after scripture, I want you to know that you will prevail. You will win and you will stand before the throne of Christ and you will say, oh, I've been cover- you've been covered by the blood. Come on in, my good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy the life that I have for you. Would you stand to your feet today as we in our time? Thank you for giving me the extra time today. As we land the Revelation series, I want to pray one last prayer for you with every eye closed in this place right now. <laughs> Come on, every eye closed for a moment way to a young man give his life to the Lord in the first service anyone here today want to give their life to Jesus Christ see Ryan I do not I do not have a personal relationship with him or man I feel like I've just fallen fallen away and I'm I profess with my mouth but I haven't been living that life and I need to make a confession today and I need to get back on track and serve the Lord but I hear today and that's you I want you to put your hand in the air real fast and then put it right back down come on come on anybody else in the room Come on, anybody else? There's two folks raising their hand today. Come on, Father, I just pray for these people right now and those who didn't raise their hand. I just pray, Lord, that you would come right now and remind them, Lord, that their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and that you want to cover them, Lord, with all of their sin and all of their wrongdoing with the blood of the Lamb. And the church, would you just pray with me today? Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I love you. I want to serve you forgive me for all my sin. I repent and turn away from it. I want you to be in my life. I give my life to you today. I confess that you're the Lord of my life. In Jesus name. Amen. Come on, if you're online and you gave your life to Jesus, you can email us at info at lovecitychurch.ca. You're going to watch the kids' video, but for the rest of you today, you want prayer. Come on, we got a prayer team. We want to pray with you. So come on down and receive prayer. We love you guys. We'll have an amazing week. Remember, continue to keep your testimony for Jesus and be obedient to His Word. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.